Welcome to Pardon the Confusion. This is Paul Arnold, your host. I'm back. Last week, my son David Arnold filled in for me, and he broke a new world record, at least a world record for Pardon the Confusion with my co-host tonight, Ernest Watts. Together, David and Ernest spoke for... Ernest, do you know how long you guys talked? Was it an hour and 20 minutes? Hour and 17 minutes. Oh, hey, I went over, though. I lose. If this <laughs> is uh, Price is Right. So we have a I special go. prize for any listener out there. Listen to all hour and 17 minutes of that. Let me know. I'll send you a special prize. It may be um, some sleeping pills or uh, stomach medicine, but we'll send you something. But actually, I listened to it all. I enjoyed it. It reminded me back when we lived in North Carolina and Ernest and David would talk sports all the time, back and forth. And that's what we're doing tonight. Tonight is Game 7 of the World Series. All the characters are in place. And Ernest, how do you explain that every game so far has been won by the away team? You know, this is, if you take the big four in sports, baseball, football, basketball, and hockey, professionally, there has never been a a seven-game series where the road team has won every game. And I think, I think Washington is a better American League team than they are a National League team. I think <laughs> the designated hitter gets Kubera to play second base, and it frees out Hendrick to be a DH. And, and I just think they're a better American League team than they are a National League team. They finished in second in their division, so that must be true. And I think there may be an overuse problem with with the pitching staff mm. of, of the Astros particularly Verlander I mean he is he's what 36 now mm-hmm. and I, I just you see the fatigue factor I think Cole also this is like 60 innings more than Cole has ever pitched in a season mm-hmm. and I think both of them are, are kind of kind of missing anything if you go from the point of of, of the middle of June to now, even though at that point the the Nationals were in fourth place, their record of the Astros and the Nationals from the middle of June to now is exactly the same. Wow. Well, the other theory that's been thrown out there, and yes, folks, I did watch a lot of ESPN this afternoon when I got home, is that away teams are more relaxed. They're away from distractions at home. They're less intense, and that plays to the national strength. But I agree with you, Ernest. I think it's the pitchers get weary, and they're, like we saw last night, Verlander's pitches just weren't breaking, and Verlander is at a stage where he can't blow it by people like he used to. He can't get a 99 very often or even 98. Even if he does, it doesn't move very much. And professional hitters in the Major League Baseball, if you give them a pitch that's straight, doesn't matter if it's 80 or 110, they're going to tag it. So... I think it's just a little fatigue like you're talking about. And I think John Smoltz has been a great color announcer. I really enjoy listening to him talk. And he seems to make sense. He's not arrogant about it. And he could be. I mean, he has great credentials. So how have you felt the announcing has gone so far? Well, you know, they did start the uh, chant about the uh, play-by-play guy with a term that we're not going to use over the air. Oh, really? George Buck with another letter, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The one before G. They rhymed. It rhymed. I will give you that. I I think going back again to the success, I think something else with the hitters is normally you don't see pitchers three times in in 10 days. 
you know, when you're playing in the regular season, you play three games and you may not see a pitcher. Even one in your division, you might see him once or twice all year long. And the fact that both teams have been exposed to the starters, and this will be the third time today, I think familiarity has, has made a big difference also. But the announcing, you know, and I've seen it from a large perspective, and I grew up with the old days in the 60s, Kirk Gowdy and Tony Kubek. Kubek was a former shortstop with the Yankees who retired early because in 1960 World Series, a ground ball hit him in the throat, mm-hmm. believe it or not. And they would bring in the home broadcaster of, of whoever the home team was in the World Series. And then uh, you've had, over a period of time, you've had changes. You know, I don't think Bucks is as bad as, or as annoying as people no, say. I think he's okay. And I always like Joe Gracciola. I mean, that's a real old skewing name, but uh, he was a lot of fun, sort of folksy. Um, yeah, I always liked it when they brought the home team announcer into the national play-by-play for one inning or something like that. Um, all right, Ernest, the other question I have for this game tonight is if you're the GM of a losing baseball team, a team that had a bad record this year, MLB, what team do you look at more as a way to rebuild your team? Do you look more at the Nats or the Astros as the way to rebuild? Well, both of them were were able to get multiple number one draft picks because you got to remember the Nationals uh, got, um, you know, the Zimmerman when they were coming out of Montreal and then they got Harper, and before Harper, they got Strasburg. So they got like three number one draft picks, similar to what the Astros. The Astros have been able to bring in pitchers from other teams, and, and you know, Cole was a washout at Pittsburgh, and miraculously, he, he goes there. And, you know, there's been a lot of controversy. People have claimed that the, it, you know, the Astros or have somebody in the outfield picking up signals from the catcher or do they use foreign substances? But I, I kind of wonder if that's just a lot of jealousy because this is a team that was a punching bag for 20 They're years. The Patriots of the MLB. Is that what you're saying? They cheat? Yeah, well, that's always been the accusation. It's come up because guys go there and they get better. To me, that's, you got a good, you've got a good analytic staff. I mean, they're big on the Astros more than anything else are a breaking ball team. Not so much the fastball. They teach their pitchers and emphasize sticking with the breaking ball, the curve, the slider. And it's it's something that they get better over a period of time. That's always raised a lot of people's questions. You know, remember up until this year, everybody thought that Washington was the biggest chokers in Major League Baseball. They were the Buffalo Bills of baseball Mm -hmm. because they had not won a playoff series until now. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I, what's it? What's really going to be interesting, Paul, is how these teams these teams are going to be different next year. Because Rendon is going to be free agency, and he's already pretty much told uh, that he's got a good offer from Washington. Washington has a history of offering big contracts, but a lot of money is paid back later. Uh-huh. You know, a lot of. Uh, Trust funds at the end of it. They don't pay upfront money. They don't pay bonus money. Strasburg has a 48-hour window after the World Series. He's probably gone. For the Astros, we know Cole is gone because the Astros are worried about Springer's coming up in a free agent year, and they want to pay him. They, they want to keep the core of their stars. They think they can get 
a situation like Cole pick up a pitcher and this young kid who pitched game four did very, very well. And, and I've got the opportunity, you know, one of their, their, their high A team is nearby and I watched them play for the last three years. They've got talent in the minor leagues, mm-hmm. but both of them have such, you know, such young talent. It's, both this will not be the last World Series for either team right. in the next five well, years. The, I mean, the Braves are not that far away. Your Braves, and yeah. but my Tigers are way away, and they had a horrible record, and the payrolls real low, and we'll see how long it takes them to climb up. They got a guy, their number one draft pick, who pitched Double A and a little Triple A ball last year, and they limited his innings because they hope he's the next coming of Justin Verlander. But um, baseball's going to be done before Halloween, which I have to give them credit. I said on my other podcast, Boys of Summer, that I think the season is too long. But I tell you, it's hard to argue with a seven-game series like this. Um, But Saturday, we get back to NCAA football. And, Ernest, the polls are out now. The top five between the AP Top 25 with the writers and sportscasters and such, and then the coaches poll. And they're different this week. I mean, you have the same top five for the AP 25. It's LSU, Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, and Penn State. And for the coaches poll, it's still Alabama, then LSU, then Clemson, then Ohio State, and Penn State. And I've heard some commentators talk that Ohio State should be number one. Uh, Joe Klatt for Fox has said that. Which poll has it right, Ernest? Okay, he he works for what network? <laughs> the Big Ten Fox Network. Yes, yeah, yeah. So it, it's it's kind of like when you hear the guys on CBS telling you that there's no football at SEC. Luckily, this thing works itself out because of those top five teams, four of them will play each other. You know, LSU is going to play Alabama, Penn State's going to play Ohio State, and that will get us back to three. Uh, I thought in error that Oklahoma could run the table. So I yeah, wasn't going to bring that up, but if you well, bring it I up, will, you know, lose to Kansas State. Come on, man. Yeah, we still have an undefeated team in the Big Twelve. You know who that is? Uh, the Big Twelve undefeated team. Well, I know Appalachian State and Minnesota is undefeated. Is it Boise State? Baylor is undefeated. Really? Baylor, wow. a team that three two years ago was zero and twelve. Yeah, they gave that guy a big contract to stay, I guess. So, But who are they going to play? Texas coming up? They'll play Oklahoma and they'll play Texas. Yeah, I was looking at the schedules this year, the most brutal schedule of any team. Can you guess who it's been this year? Wow. Uh, Wisconsin had a pretty rough one. Auburn. Auburn's Auburn. played yeah, Florida. Yeah. They played LSU. They're going to play Georgia, Alabama, Um They've played just a murderer's row. They've had such a hard schedule. It makes Alabama's schedule look like it's so contrived, which it is. So do you think Alabama or LSU is number one? Right now, i got to go with Alabama. Mm. I mean, they're still – I mean, Yeah, I mean, LSU has – well, we're basing a lot of LSU's schedule on who they've played. And Texas is not the – you know, David Herman has just been a – Mark Herman? Disappointment. Mark Herman. No, it's David Herman, isn't it? Tom Herman. Tom Herman. Tom, sorry. We're thinking Mark Herman's the um the old quarterback from Purdue. Yeah. Well, we're showing our age now. <laughs> we'll say he's an Ohio State 
assistant. So we're both having a block here, aren't we? Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was going to bring Texas. Texas has more resources than any other school. Michigan, Ohio State, USC. I mean, they just they have their own network. <laughs> uh, well, I know Notre Dame does too, but Notre Dame's always the exception to the rule. So you kind of wonder about LSU. Uh, you know, it, that game's going to be at Alabama. It's interesting, and that game will be next weekend. But it's fascinating that if Alabama loses to LSU, there's a big question about them being in the Final Four with so many one-loss teams because mm. Ohio State, Penn State, one of them will have one loss, okay? And Oklahoma will have one loss. And But now if LSU loses to Alabama, that's going to be a road game. And they'll have the, the – again, they'll have the resume of who they've beaten they could be that fourth team that slips in with one loss. They would go to the top of the one-loss record. So my prediction is that the top four are going to be the top four in the playoffs right now. I don't think Penn State is going to be Ohio State. And I agree. It, whoever you pick, LSU or Alabama, however it goes out, I think the other team's going to get in. I don't see another team breaking the top four going in, even with a one-loss for one of these teams. Um, so I don't think the polls really make a difference except for it gives ESPN and FS1 more to talk about. But Oh, it's for the advertisement. This yeah. week's game, number five. Is, yes. Now let's, let's, let's play out the format. If uh, LSU loses to Alabama and if Penn State loses to Ohio State, which we think will happen, mm -hmm. and you've got undefeated Ohio State, undefeated Clemson, undefeated uh, Alabama, who's the fourth team in your mind? I think who's I heard the you one loss. LSU is the fourth team. With one loss, you have them in. Yes, yes. Even even if Penn State's lost to, uh, Penn State's lost to Ohio, Ohio State, State yeah. at Ohio. No, LSU's had more quality games, tough games. When you look at who they've had to play throughout the year, no doubt. And I'm not even an SEC guy. I'm a Big Ten guy, but it's just such a world difference to see the just the competitiveness that Auburn LSU game was tremendous. And then I guess Michigan beating up on Notre Dame makes me think Georgia's not as good as maybe we think they are too. You know, sort of that if you beat my brother and I beat my brother, then, you know, That's that kind of argument. The extrapolation type of, well, you know, we're forgetting another one lost team. Oregon. Who uh, they lose to? No they respect lost. for the West Coast. It just well, They lost happen. to Auburn. In Texas, no, on no, the road. No. And then all their wide receivers were out. So if you throw in the factor about injuries you know, being a determining factor on whether a team would be considered. No, any Pac-12 team has to go undefeated to make the top four. It's just the way it is because it's just not as competitive. A competitive game, though, this week, here's the transition. Okay, really well, I was going to ask you one more before we get that. Can okay, I ask you one more? One more. So what you're telling me, I'm extrapolating this. Okay. You're telling me that only the Big Ten and SEC could have a one-loss team get in the championship. All the other conferences have to be undefeated. Yes, I do. That's what I'm saying. Because if okay. you talk to like a Texas or Oklahoma, if they get one loss, it's usually to somebody within their own conference. And that conference is just not as strong as the SEC or the Big Ten. And the only team that can get in in Big Ten is Ohio State. And but you look at Ohio State's uh, schedule, it's a lot like Alabama. They've gone the route of not scheduling anybody tough, 
early in the season, and Michigan is sort of doing the same thing. They've dropped Notre Dame until 2033 because they just don't want to take that risk early in the season anymore. Okay, let me take your argument just one step further, just for conjecture's sake. You have said you would take a SEC team with one loss or a Big Ten team with one loss because that was to a team in their conference and their two conferences are superior to the other. Right? Yep. Your logic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's my Oregon Spock lost moment to SEC. right now. Okay. Live just fine. Prosper. Okay. Oregon lost to an SEC team. This is true, but it was early. Anytime you lose real early in season – I don't think it. Re- I don't know. You could argue that it shouldn't count as much, but they were on the road to Auburn, weren't they? Uh, they were in Texas. This was uh, one of the the kickoff classics. Oh, was yeah. playing Jerry it was playing Jerry World. Yeah, I, I, you know, this is where the selection committee gets out all their fancy numbers, right? And strength of conferences and all that kind of thing. And I'm just doing the eye test. I'm just telling you what. Which is happens. what they do. Most of them do because most of them are eighties and college presidents. And for some reason, Condoleezza Rice, I <laughs> don't understand that, but I mean, I have as, as much, I am as qualified as Condoleezza Rice is to make a decision on those final four. Mm. You know, she was okay as a secretary of state. She's great as I believe she is adjutant for Stanford university right now. See, I don't think it should be anybody affiliated with a conference. And because coaches have this good old boy network, it, and I don't know if, I, and I'm not too crazy about analytics. So do you want, want to go to eight? eight? Do you want to go to eight? And oh, yeah, before? eight, a heartbeat. But but I that do was it. really yes. controversial about a year or two ago, and I don't hear anything about that now. Well, we're not down to somebody being left out. I guarantee you if it goes the way that we're talking, and Penn State and Oregon are left out, uh, or who else? Let's say the SEC team loses in the championship, or let's say Ohio State loses in the championship. Yeah, you're going to have a lot of people clamoring for it, but they're stuck in this contract, and I think there's eight or seven more years, oh. so they can't even touch it till then. And even the ratings for the semifinal games have not been, I mean, this has been a leading losser for ESPN. So uh, outside of us liking good competitive football, I don't know, you know, other for a business aspect, they're not clamoring for this as much. It works in the uh, football championship series, which used to be one double a football. They have a, they have a, actually they have a 24 game playoff series. (laughs) They have buys. The conference teams get buys, and it, nice. it takes four weeks. All right. Well, we're going to move on to the biggest game of this next week, and there really isn't a lot of great games this next week, but the biggest cocktail party, Georgia against Florida, is definitely a very big game because, you know, if these teams lose one more, they're pretty much out of any hope of trying to make it. Uh, who do you have in this game, Ernest? Yeah, it's, it, this is, for all critical reasons, this is the Southeastern Conference East championship mm. you know I, I like this kid quarterback in florida kid never started a game in high school he he's you know he's done pretty good uh lopez got hurt. underwear i think that's what's yeah, bringing yeah, i believe so and and georgia had to replace so much on defense and their quarterback just has problems consistently throwing long i do like the running backs 
it comes down to who's going to both have great defenses, but Georgia has a better offense. So I'm, I'm going to take Georgia. I think Georgia will come out of it. And then we're going to be stuck with the SEC game of Alabama and Georgia. And Georgia have a big lead to the fourth quarter for <laughs> one more time. And Blankenship will miss a field goal and Alabama will win. Uh, uh, I hope not. I hope not. I think Florida um, is really a good story of how a good coach uh, can make a big difference with decent talent. One of the conversations I've had with another coach, Nate, is – you know, when is a program at its peak with recruiting and how much difference would a new coach really make? There's definitely the power of coaching where some coach can come in and coach them up and inspire them and they get one step higher. But I don't always believe that, let's say, Notre Dame, you know, Paul Feinbaum, who loves to rip on Harbaugh, took a week off of Harbaugh, didn't talk about Harbaugh much this week for some reason, but chose this week to say that Brian Kelly should be fired and they should hire Urban Liar, I mean Urban Meyer. So um, I just don't know if Notre Dame is getting the talent like they used to, and I don't know if Michigan even is. You know, how much more would you need to get consistently at the level of Alabama and Clemson? I think every four or five years, maybe you can get up close to that, but it's just not going to happen on a consistent level. Even if you get a coach like Urban Liar, what do you think? Agree? No? Yes? No? Alabama gets talent because kids look at it and go, this is the fast track to the pros. You know, it's, it's amazing to me that too many fan bases view that the only success their team can have is if they win a championship, which means 215 (laughs) schools are going to be disappointed in January. Michigan and Notre Dame both have, the most national championships of all time. I think it's 11 for both of them. Both of them rank in the top 2% of graduates of football players. Mm-hmm. They are, they always pull in the best ratings when they're on TV. Their coaches are successful. And I know it's been 20 some years since Notre Dame won a championship. I think it's been how much for Michigan? A, 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 and that was a disputed championship, right? right? That's a split, split championship. And, you know, I just don't understand how people, I mean, maybe because I know that UNC will never win the <laughs> national championship in football, but in basketball, it, it's similar. You on you basketball, yeah. Well, there are a lot of Carolina fans that that look at basketball, and this is a lot of fans, and this bothers me. In that uh, they view sports as the point that if you don't win a championship, the season is a loss. Mm-hmm. One of the two teams tonight in the World Series, and gentle listener, you'll know this answer after you listen to this, is going to go away disappointed but they're going to have a great season. Washington never got to a World Series. Houston is, for all practical reasons, the only thing close to a dynasty that we have in baseball. Yet, fandom, never successful or happy. I mean, that's I, I don't understand this. Michigan doesn't have to be Alabama. If they have to lessen their, their standards academically, if they have to do things to be Alabama, then they've lost well, their sight. Notre, Dame, Notre, Notre Dame different, never... Though. They They've never redshirted. They don't redshirt. And they're that, not that in a conference. That is amazing to me. And, well, they're sort of in a, they're not in a conference for football. 
And They're so for Notre Dame, it's more all or nothing. For Michigan, the fans here want to win the Big Ten and want to be Ohio State, and I think they'll be happy. I think most people realize that national championships are a rare thing. Um, so, well, see, with Notre Dame hasn't always been that way, and I think that's more the fandom than the actual team and coaches. Because remember, Notre Dame refused to appear in a bowl game until 1970. Mm-hmm. So, you know, th- their hierarchy, Father Heisenberg, when he was there, was Notre Dame did not have to cheapen itself. A- again, Notre Dame does not win another national championship. They are still the gold standard. Let Michigan me, is also. So I'm slightly distracted here just because I'm a man and the game is on. And I have a, I'm watching the baseball game, and like Ernest said, you're going to listen to after this. But right now, Scherzer's in the third inning. He's trying to pitch. And a guy right behind home plate has an orange towel. And right before Scherzer pitches, he goes up and down. And he goes double fast. And in football, you don't think twice about it. But in baseball, it's sort of like, no, nah, it's a little cheap. You just don't have one person trying to distract somebody right behind home plate. This it, is not new. Remember the guy with the Marlins, the Arlen, orange Marlins oh, I jersey? Saw, I saw him. He was at the game in... Washington, but he wasn't trying to distract him. He was just sitting there with his orange jersey. But anyways, you remember the '86 World Series with the very, uh, shall we say, I'm not going to do body image problems here, but very noticeable lady would do the spinning motion with her hands. Yes, the Red Sox and Met World Series trying to distract players don't see that. You know, pitchers looking at that little square area where the catcher's trying to catch the ball. I mean, people can distract and they can have lucky things and they can jump up and down. And the Mets used to have a guy that would show signs in the sixties and players don't see that. That's more distracting to the audience than it is. All right. All right. Make I, college football. I'll Make get off my football. old man, uh, okay. griping about that and moving well, on. I mean, him. if, if Michigan never wins another national championship, you're a Michigan fan. Okay. Yes. Uh-huh. Will you, Go, will you be, uh, you know, and I have, I have no more or less regard than people who are front runners. Those guys wearing Patriots jerseys and, uh, and, and right now, uh, uh, University of Virginia championship hats. Uh, to me, a true fan doesn't matter where your team wins because Dean Smith said it best. If you treat every game like life and death, you're going to die a lot. <laughs> Ah, yes, yes. I don't mean, that's, get too that's, high, that's Don't get too low. You, you it's okay. root for players. It's uh, easy to I'll, say. I'll, How about me, your Carolina you, Panthers, man? As we I will take my Panthers. They're not going to win the Super Bowl. Okay. If we get the playoffs, I'm going to be happy. Yet, I am enjoying watching. I've seen Luke Keekley play for 10 years now. And in my mind, Romance. he is the greatest Romance. middle linebacker of all time. Christian McCaffrey is someone that I thought was a mistake to draft. You know, I just thought he was too small. And I enjoy watching him play. I enjoy my team. Are we going to win? I mean, I, I again, there are only four teams that are legitimately going to win the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the Patriots. That's going to be the 49ers. That's the Packers. And who am I forgetting? Gosh, you here? got to my Packers. next question, man. Good oh, okay. Job. Sorry. No, no. Well, so I have two questions for NFL. And- okay. Well, we've had, let's, let's let's wrap up college football. Uh, again, Notre Dame 
is Notre Dame, Alabama, USC, Michigan. These are national brands. Texas, who hasn't competed since Vince Young skirted <laughs> over the Rose Bowl for a touchdown. It doesn't matter where they win championships. They're money-making machines, and the fans are loyal. And they can scream, and they can complain, and they can get another coach. But Feinbaum is a joke. I have <laughs> low regard for him. I mean, he is so far up the Alabama constituency's lower half that it's ridiculous. He pouted last year when Clemson won. He hates Clemson. He hates Harbaugh. He hates Notre Dame. He hates Ohio State. I mean, he's not to me how he has Hawaii's on the radio and as a southerner his show is an affront to the south whoa because he brings on these he brings on these stereotypical lower level fans who sound like rejects from Ernest there's some people might listen to us that may take offense of that man no they're southerners and they're educated and they're fine they're good to Alabama fans they're fine intelligent fans but I find his show in front. I find himself he is the homer whoa whoa calm down man that's some cool guy well you know it's just he, he where, what again, you know, <laughs> Baker Mayfield got in trouble for telling people, Have you ever played? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Feinbaum's been a radio host, he never was a newspaper man, he never was in athletics, oh. as far as I know. He looks like the barber from a small town. Wow, in you're taking shots of the way he looks, even. Wow, well, I just, I, I, he, Ernest, does, he doesn't bring anything to the table, he doesn't bring anything to the table. And, and I've Do heard him rant bar or something, Ernest. You know, you're well, not yourself I, when I, you're hungry. I hear him rant on Cam Newton, and it's because Cam graduated from Auburn. I know, and Auburn's the worst in his eyes, yes. And I hear him, uh, he used to rip less miles. And again, there's no coach in his view that is. is, is unless they're with the scarlet and white of Alabama. And I just don't understand that again, he's a stereotype and it's just, <laughs> I, I mean, again, you feel football, better now. You feel better. I you feel got that better. off your chest. I, a lot better. I got right. this therapy is brought I mean, to you by not many media people. Coca-Cola. They're not many media sponsor people. of Alabama. Well, yes. Uh, they're not many media. Hey, listen, I love bear Bryant. I love watching Alabama in the 60s and 70s, even though it was an all-white team and it was racist, but that's another another statement for another day. But I just, again, you have to appreciate college football. Okay. Well, that's all, all right. right. I'm going to wheel right, you sorry. back in, man. This is right, really back going. in. Really, sorry. You know. All right. So let's get to some relevant NFL talk, all right? Okay. So because AFC, it's pretty clear the Patriots – are number one, and if the Chiefs can get everybody healthy, they're probably number two, and then everybody uh, else is. I got another number two. I got another number two. Okay, and they're going to play the Patriots next week. The uh, Ravens. I love the defense. I just of the can't Ravens. believe the Ravens with that quarterback with Jackson can be a long-lasting team for the playoffs because they're too one-dimensional in my book. God. He may, I like I said that to me, they're the second best team. Uh, the Chiefs' defense worries me. Their inability to stop anybody and the injuries that they've had. I mean, I just, and let's face it, Andy Reid always finds a way of blowing at the playoffs. So the Patriots look like their defense is great. But so the NFC is the more intriguing from my point of view. You, you were saying it. The Packers are 7 1, the Saints are 7 1. 
uh, with Teddy Bridgewater doing a great job. And the 49ers are 7-0. and Which team is the real deal out of those three, and which one is the fake team? Can I throw another team in there? <laughs> yes. Seahawks. Yes, they look very strong too right I think now. they'll be better at the end of the season than they are now. They're a team that's getting better. Who's the real deal? It's got to be the Saints. They're, they're probably going to have home field advantage. I mean, you, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. Their defense is underrated. They've done some great drafting, particularly in defensive backfield and defensive line. Uh, I just think the if Saints. The can get healthy, though. That's the problem. They've got Murray. Murray's doing pretty good. He's filling in fairly well. Packers are very, very, they're like, if the Saints are one, the Packers are, are 1A. Uh, the improvement in their defense, you kind of worry. Rodgers is a little fragile. Mm. You kind of worry if, if if he gets injured. I like the the, the tight ends. Uh, if Adams ever gets uh, well at wide receiver. But I think they can win games with their defense, similar to what the Saints are doing. Uh, the Niners, uh, I don't. I mean, Greplo had a pretty good game against the Panthers, but he hasn't shown me he's more than a game management. And the Seahawks, I think, are going to get better and better. Yeah. I think all four of those teams can beat the Patriots in the Super Bowl. I think it's amazing. I don't think this. I don't think this Patriots team is as good as last year. Can't be. You know, Gronk's out. Well, Gronk was iffy last year too, and I think NFL's trend the last couple of years is go with these younger offensive gurus. Um, and see but what now, happens. And then you go L.A., and they looked really good, the Rams, until this year when their defense is hurting. And all of a sudden, Goff doesn't have the confidence. Uh, other teams have figured them out. Um, and I almost feel like that's going to be the same thing with the Packers. At some point, if people start shutting them down, will Rodgers come and be able to play well enough, or will he get frustrated too? But um, – I yeah. think with the Rams, it was more the they they're missing two starters in the offensive line, and their center's out. Whitworth's hurt, uh, and he was an All Pro at left tackle, and that's your blind side. And I think the center's out also, and I think that that's he just golf's just golf is not much of an improviser. I mean, he can't scramble and throw like a Wentz or a Dak Prescott or a Rogers or a Russell Wilson. And if he drops back, and I don't think. His he's the best at reading defenses. It looks like a lot of times when he drops back, he looks for a primary receiver. Mm -hmm. And if he doesn't see that, he tends to panic. And I think last year the offensive line protected him. I think what the Patriots did in the Super Bowl was they rushed seven and did not give him time. Mm -hmm. And he, he has jittery feet that he won't stand and take the hit and look for that second or third receiver. Mm -hmm. And I think, People saw that in the Super Bowl and with the injuries in the offensive line. I mean, word gets out pretty free. I think that's what everybody has done. I know that I watched the Tampa Bay game. Mm -hmm. And then I Sue did that. And I think the, the defense of the, the Buccaneers did that. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't think this Patriot team, you, you say Gronk wasn't much last year, but I remember in overtime when the Patriots got the ball first. The way they, thank you, Hank Strand, matriculated the ball down the field <laughs> was he passed to Gronk. Yeah, he was always the release valve. You could always trust him. And it's been interesting how the Patriots have been trying to grab some wide receivers um, because they're a little nervous. They don't have the firepower they need down the road. And Gordon going down didn't help anything. And what do you make of Brady's sort of rumblings a little bit on his own team? 
radio show that, you know, he might have some other options and some decisions need to be made. And do you think he's squawking to get a, another contract or do you think he's seriously thinking I'm, I'm gone to somewhere else for a year or two? I just think he wants some TLC. I don't think he's that egotistical that, that he has to prove he can win a championship without uh, Belichick. I mean, he, he sees the light at the end of the tunnel, but for him to pull a Joe Namath or a Johnny Unitas or a Joe Montana and go to another or team. Or Peyton Manning, even. Or a, well, Peyton got a Super Bowl win out of it. That was more the defense of Denver. The other guys found out real fast, like, how things go downhill. I mean, he's he's pampered. The Patriots pretty much have done everything except for letting a wide receiver go at the beginning of this year. Pretty much everything he's wanted to do. And, you know, he, he's, he's done some dumb things because there's a series on Netflix with Paul Rudd, Beside Yourself. And the, the, the real, get this real quick, like the plot is a guy clones himself accidentally. Mm-hmm. And in that, there's a scene where Tom Brady comes out of a massage parlor. And, you know, you're kind of spitting in your owner's face mm. when you do stuff like that. Well, That's he claims not that was on a green screen and he didn't know what yeah, the background sure. was. Yeah, he is that naive that he goes in front of a camera, and that's not a green screen. I've seen the scene. He's outside. That's not a green screen. He knew what he was doing. He was pouting because they cut his all-pro wide receiver after the first game of the season. Mm. And his owner did it. His coach did not do it. So that was a little bit of spite work. And it's childish. But him going somewhere else, where is he going to go? You know? He, he he knows his, and again, people will make the, the, you know, Hey, Belichick only won with Brady, Brady only won with Belichick. You know, it's, it's fun to compare because Joe Gibbs won three Super Bowls with three different super, three different quarterbacks. Bill Walsh won Super Bowls four with two different quarterbacks and uh, Bill Parcells won two Super Bowls with two different quarterbacks. I don't think that makes that much difference. That doesn't, you know, Belichick's the greatest of all time. Brady's the best of all time. Mm -hmm. I don't think they have to stretch out either one of them to prove something, but Belichick will be coaching when Brady is with Giselle somewhere off the coast of Brazil. All right. Stop daydreaming there. Ernest. Sorry. 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 (laughs) But no, he's, I guarantee it. You will not see Brady. In a Jets uniform or a Dolphins uniform or uh, where would he go? I mean, really, well, you got real, me distracted now about thinking about Giselle and. Oh, okay, I'm sorry, but, but where, when, where you were, would... when you were in high school, what was the most attractive woman? I mean, that you thought in high school. <laughs> I know your wife uh, never listens to this, but like for me, it was Farrah Fawcett. You know, Farrah Fawcett. Oh, Oh wow! I remember that that, uh, that English English accent. Yes, she had a poster with um, a bathing suit that was quite nice. Yeah, it was a white T-shirt. It was from the movie The Deep with Nick Nolte Uh, and Lou Gossett Jr. Uh huh. Okay. Not that I've not that I've ever seen the movie. (laughs) All right, we're going to get into IMDb in that. I'm just IMDb. (laughs) All right. So, Ernest, I know that you love this time of year because not only do you have everything we've talked about, but you have the start of the NHL season and the start of the NBA season. I know last week you and David went on and on and on, and did I say on, about the NBA as a a preseason? We only got seven more months to talk about (laughs) it. And I usually find most people 
don't care until after the All-Star game. But that's okay. I'm going to give you, Ernest, two good minutes, just like Dan Patrick gives two good minutes for soccer. Oh, okay. I'm going to give you two good minutes to give us an update on the NHL, uh, what you think is uh, important. Wait a second. Let me get out my clock here. Are you ready? Yes. Go. Well, I, I, they've entered replay into this year. But, again, it's there are certain teams that are doing very well. Of course, my Hurricanes who are in second in the Metropolitan Division behind Washington, and we have got a great young core. Smetchnikov, Andre Smetchnikov last God night scored. You. Thank you. He scored. You, you, Paul knows what I'm talking about. He did a lacrosse goal. Yes, you want to explain did. that, what that means to everyone? Well, you finish your – I'll get it in my other two minutes. Go ahead. Okay, you get in your two minutes. And it's an exciting young staff. They've uh, The goalies uh, – also, uh, our, our friend in Colorado, his avalanche are doing very well. Hockey is just, it's, it, it, I love it. It has the, the speed of basketball, the brutality of football. But it, it's never going to be more than the sixth or seventh most popular sport. But to me, I just enjoy watching it. it, it and again, attending it makes a much difference. It's the speed of it. It's the young talent. And that's what I enjoy in all sports is when we get to see young talent. Like we're seeing Soto in the World Series. This is a young man I've known about for two years, but nationally people are seeing the brute talent he has. Smetchnikov and some of the other kids uh, that, that you see in the NHL, the young talent comes in all the time. And of course, in the NBA, we're not seeing it because Zion's injured, but there are young kids, uh, R.J. Barrett with the Knicks, and a few others that you see in. It's just the beginning of the new season. Every team has a chance. So, and you just want to get to the playoffs. So that was two minutes. I, oh, oh, oh. But I that's forgot. Our, we had our first Heritage Classic <laughs> last Saturday night in the Mosaic, which is one of the greatest named stadiums at all. It's the stadium in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Mm-hmm. And they had their first outdoor game. And it was on NBC. <laughs> it's cold enough in Canada to have an outdoor it, game. It was snowing. It was snowed during the game. <laughs> in October. It was the uh, Winnipeg Jets and the, the Calgary Flames. And uh, both teams were kind of disappointments in the playoffs last year. Mm-hmm. But it was snowing. And it's just, again, this is a great modern stadium. And it's the first of three outdoor games we're going to have this year. One will be in Dallas. Uh, I believe that's going to be in January. And I believe the one. On uh, yeah, the one in uh, will be in Nashville. Now you got five minutes of hockey going on, man. I'm sorry, I went too far. Yeah, that's, but the the goal you're talking about is that about ten years ago or nine, eight years ago, a uh, University of Michigan hockey player was behind the goal, took the puck and did a trick that they do in practice. He flipped it on his stick, and there's enough stickiness to the tape on sticks that it would adhere if you don't move it totally too quick. So he moved it and he carried it like a, a ladle on a spoon, like an egg on a spoon. And then he put it in the corner of the net behind the goalie. And last night a pro hockey player did that as well. So it's hard to pull off. It's not easy to do, but it, it always looks really cool. And it looks like a cross play that you're carrying the stick high and you have the puck on the, on the stick. So that's probably way too much explanation. I've only seen it five times in NHL. I mean, it's extremely rare. It's kind of like the situation when the Panthers were playing um, in London against Tampa Bay. They pulled out the old rule at halftime where on a punt, they called a fair catch. Mm -hmm. And if you do that, you can put the ball on a tee Mm -hmm. and you line up like a kickoff, but the kick is good. Then they missed the field goal. 
Joy Sly, who is the kicker for the Panthers. Yeah. But it's it's rarely David once was it's it's kind of like a drop kick. It's it's this rare albatross play that you don't get to see that often. And it, again, most people aren't aware of the rule that you can call a fair catch on a punt, put the ball on a tee, and kick like a kickoff, mm-hmm. which means there's no rush. No one can move until the ball is kicked off, and you can get three points out of it. You can get a field. And usually, most kickers nowadays on a tee can easily kick it from 60 yards on in. No rush. You take your time. You get a longer kickoff. Mm-hmm. But that's the little quirky things, kind of like last night's World Series game with the controversy about whether or not um, Trey Turner ran inside the baseline. He did right, run inside it, but not enough because that throw was ahead of the first base. It was way off. It, it It's one of those baseball things that the average fan wouldn't want to know, and it was so obviously that he had beaten the throw anyways. But um, I'm watching the game right now, and it's still a close game. And I tell you, the Astros must be really serious about it because I just saw Priest walk in and sit right behind home plate. <laughs> um, so I'm also watching the dugout. Is that a joke? A priest no, or a rabbi? No, seriously. Well, a priest or rabbi and an Amon came in. Uh, yes, come in and sit behind home plate. Thank you. They show some of the coaches in the dugouts. You know, the, the cameramen are looking for people looking strained and upset or not wearing much clothes. But I know there's a lot of spitting going on. And – I played hockey, and there was a lots of spitting going on in hockey and baseball. They make an art form. Uh, what sport, or can you remember any athlete that you thought, "Wow, this person is a just goes above and beyond the levels of spitting that anybody else does?" Well, Lenny Dykstra, of course. But you know what this reminds me of? You remember the the Naked Gun movie, the first one, and they've got the uh, you know Frank Drebin's trying to find the bomb, and it's the Angels and the Mariners. And they're broadcasting with 15 broadcasters. Mm-hmm. It's it, Dick Vitale doesn't speak. That's the upset. And they have a scene where everybody starts to spit. The players spit. The wives of the players spit. <laughs> the umpire spits. Queen Elizabeth spits. I mean, it's, it's just it just shows. Yeah, it's nasty. And and you call back to what you're saying earlier. Joe Garagiola has worked very hard to get tobacco use out of major leagues. And, and Jim Bowden, who wrote Ball Four, was one of the original creators of the uh, bubble gum, the, the the gum that was in the tobacco pack. Yeah, I've forgotten the brand name. Major of it. League Chew. Major League Chew, and, and trying to replace that. And yeah, it's there's no place nastier than a dugout. And okay, now everybody does sunflower seeds. So when my son was playing high school ball, oh my gosh, they just everywhere. You know, sunflower. And he put seeds. them on his face. You know, you ha- have. Open the shells and you put it on your face and you look like you have some pox of some type. No, I haven't seen from that. From 13th one. century or something. Oh no, no. Oh, uh, but that dugouts are the nastiest, most. Uh, their sidelines are the same way because you have tape with blood on them ripped off and people are blowing their nose and some players uh, answer the call of nature in their uniforms right. and, and it's 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 a filthy nasty place. They don't do it all the times. So it just depends. Well, it's supposed to be cooling on those hot days. I, I understand. It's sterile. I understand. That's yeah. the principle behind it. Right. But boy, well, talk about your wild tangent. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Hey, hey. Dykstra, Dykstra would have this huge, and he's a he's a 
Dykstra is a horrible person to start with, but he had this huge wad in his mouth. Yeah. And a lot of players would mix the chewing tobacco with bubble gum to keep it moist. Mm. And that's that, you know, I had coaches push that on me when I was a kid, football and, and high, baseball in high school. And, and I'm not even a gum chewer. I'm, I'm a lifesaver person. Give me a pack of my lifesavers, which is standard operational uh, material for a grandfather. But I, I never was a, a chewer, a dipper, a spitter. Yeah, pinch. I tried chewing tobacco once, and I got okay. sick, and that was it. Well, you, you know, we talking about chewing tobacco. Can only one football player. One football player. Walt Garrison. Don't you remember the commercials for the old fullback oh, for yes. the Cowboys? That's pinch very old. Gum. That's way old. Skull. Skull. Which, as I understand it, isn't that some? Uh, uh, Norwegian phrase for everything's good or everything's cool. <laughs> okay. I didn't know that. I think so. I think that's what skull means. It's, it's a salute. It's the aloha of Scandinavian countries. Yeah. Well, skull is alive and well in America. Cause I went to a hunting place, sporting out good place in the parking lot. And I pull up, I park, open my door to get out. And there's like seven, skulls on the ground like somebody dumped their spit cut there and folks it doesn't get any better podcasting than that so i better start to wrap it up here uh ernest any last words any shout outs to certain grandsons or anything oh i can't say hey to mason and logan and rhett you know that's just unbecoming of a professional podcast to say hey to the best three grandsons a man can have i would just say that those of you who believe your teams have to win a championship to have a successful year take a step back enjoy the sport <laughs> take you know, a this, chill this yeah i mean I, I saw three of the best college catches by receivers this weekend uh better than, than obj and, and and you know just again enjoy the sport for what it is i mean if your team wins the championship you're not going to get a raise your wife's not going to treat you any better your life substantially, you, you'll get a shot of dopamine for one day. You'll go out and buy the championship T-shirt and the hat, maybe, a commemorative Sports Illustrated. But a week later, the same things that bother you will bother you now. I see so many unhappy people. Most people are unhappy these days. That's sad. Enjoy the sport. Enjoy the camaraderie. Enjoy the ability to sit back. Sports should be something to take your mind off of the troubles of the world, not something to add to your worries. This is true, but it is an outlet for people to take what they're frustrated on, and they can't get, they can't quit the job, but they can yell at the football coach or they can yell at the team or whatever. So it definitely plays that role as well. Um, so Ernest, thanks for being on tonight. And next week, who knows? We'll have some more people on as well. We had some sick co-hosts and some busy co-hosts tonight, and we're glad that you listened to us on Pardon the Confusion. And so for Ernest Watts, this is Paul Arnold. Have a good night. <laughs>